I'd like, you to, I'd like to welcome you to the webinar today. What we'll be doing is uh, looking at the records that we have held here and some records held elsewhere that can help you trace uh, regiments and battalions and units of the British Army during the First World War to find out information about their day-to-day -day activities and experiences through the First World War period. There is a lot of information to take in during the talk uh, this afternoon, uh, so do please bear with me while I work my way through it. If you've got any questions, as Anne says, please send them through to Anne. If we run out of time at the end to answer all the questions, Anne will be able to send you the link to our contact uh, forms so that you can send your uh, questions in by email or through our live chat service so to get the answers through our advisors and specialists um, in the coming days. So what we'll be looking at today is uh, firstly finding out how or ways to find a, a battalion number or unit number within the British Army. We'll look at published sources such as regimental histories We'll then move on to the, sort of the bulk of the talk will be on our, the First World War unit war diaries that we have in WO95. We'll then look at how trench maps and photographs can add to the perspective or add to your perspective uh, of the details in written and published sources such as the histories and war diaries and how they can really add to your understanding of those events. We'll finish by looking at some other records and then have a case study, uh, if we've got time, of the 8th Battalion, Royal West Kent Regiment uh, from the Battle of Luz, just to show you how all those records that we've looked at can come together to enhance your understanding and improve your perspective of the First World War service um, from the talk, and then we'll finish with some summary points. So the first task, uh, when starting out on this sort of road, of research is to try and find the battalion or unit number that a particular individual, uh, relative or person of interest served with. If you're one of the fortunate people that has a surviving service record on Ancestry, uh, which have digitised the, uh, the First World War service records for other ranks and non-commissioned officers, you can find this generally on the third or fourth page of the service record. Um, on the uh, slide in front of you on the left, the extreme left hand column will say the uh, regiment name. In this case for James Harris it says R.W. Kent, so this is Royal West Kent Regiment. And then on the enlarged image on the right hand side, it's the smaller second column that gives you the battalion number. So we see there that uh, Mr Harris was mobilised on the 5th of August 1914. Uh, on the 20th of August, he was posted to the 3rd Battalion. Now, the 3rd Battalion generally is a reserve uh, battalion, and we see that 10 days later, on the 30th of August, he was posted to the 1st Regular Battalion, which would have been serving already in France. And so if we were taking this uh, uh, case forward and we wanted to find more about the day-to-day -day experiences that James Harris had, we would be looking for uh, battalion records on the 1st Battalion of uh, the Royal West Kent Regiment. Just as a sort of basic overview, each regiment before the First World War would have had uh, two regular battalions, two territorial battalions and a reserve battalion. During the war itself, uh, regiments would have expanded greatly to meet the demands of the actual war. Uh, so some regiments, such as the West Kents, would have 10 to 15 uh, battalions during the war period 
other uh, regiments from larger counties, larger areas, would have maybe over 30 battalions. So it can vary um, from uh, sort of area to area around the country. In most cases, you might be the, uh, one of the unfortunate people that don't have a surviving service record. About two thirds uh, were destroyed during the Second World War as a result of enemy bombing raids. Um, so there is another way, or there's a, there's a few other ways you can try. The one I'm going to show you here is the way you can do it through the National Archives. It's using the official medal index cards and the official medal rolls in the record series WO372 and 329 respectively. To start, go to our website. You click on the red menu button at the top. You'll see uh, the records column as the third column and you need to click on our online records which is about halfway down uh, the list. From the uh, options provided, click on the medals tab and then you'll see uh, that the top option is British Army Medal Index Cards 1914-20 to 20, and then you can search by name. You can add in regimental number uh, and then the unit details if you know that but you can just search by name. The example I've done there is to search for uh, a medal index card uh, for someone called David Langrish, just to see if we can find any, any results. Um, click on search and then it provides you with any matching results. What you want to do at this, this point is just click on the blue index, um, the blue uh, link in the main description title and that will take you through to the options to actually download uh, the medal index card and once you've downloaded uh, this sheet, it will have six uh, index cards to it for six different individuals, but it will have the one uh, that you're specifically searching. On the slide there, you'll see um, a blown up image of the one for David H. Langrish, which we searched. It confirms that he's part of the Hampshire Regiment. Uh, it gives his rank and his individual regimental number. That shouldn't be confused with the battalion or unit number. That's a unique number to the individual soldier in the Hampshire Regiment. What we're looking for from this index card is the coding given under the Victory and British War Medals. So in this case, it is C stroke 1 stroke 103 B 17. We also need to note the page number, which says 16. This is the actual page number we need to turn to once we've worked into the official medal rolls themselves, which will detail the battalion or unit number for us. Uh, if you have a medal index card which has a coding uh, alongside the uh, star medal, don't use this for this purpose. Those official medal rolls don't give you uh, the battalion or unit number. So what you do is you take that code, C stroke 1 stroke 103 B17, and you just type that into our online catalogue discovery. Click search, and that will bring you up with the results. It's going to be in the, the, the first or second results for you. What you need to check is that the description is for the correct regiment, so in this case Hampshire Regiment, which the top option is. You need to just check and make sure that the complete coding is included in that description, usually highlighted uh, in yellow for you. And then the most important thing is to make sure you're getting the right piece number, and that's by uh, making sure that the page range detailed covers the page number that you need. So 
the uh, first option there says it covers pages 1541 to 1848 and our page number was 1671 so we know we've got the correct one. You make a note of a document reference number. Um, the official medal rolls which are WO329 are original paper based records held at the National Archives so you'd need to either visit us, utilise the paid research services or go through the record copying department to get the page copied and sent out to you. Once you've ordered the document or ordered the copy, this is the type of page that will come up. It will list uh, men from the, uh, or soldiers from the, um, from the Hampshire Regiment and then alongside their name it will detail the actual battalions within the regiment that they served in. So we can see here a number of names, about 10 names, and it details and in, in some cases it gives you two different uh, battalions or units they served with during the First World War period. If we zoom in, we find the entry for David Langrish, David Henry Langrish, and it confirms that he was serving in the 9th Battalion Hampshire Regiment. So in this specific example, if we wanted to take this forward, we'd be, then be looking for um, battalion records on the 9th Battalion of the Hampshire Regiment. I'm going to move now on to published sources, which can be very helpful for you in tracing the experiences of uh, army units and battalions and regiments during the First World War. Regimental histories were published in the 1920s and 30s as a memento for the soldiers that had returned from the war and served in particular regiments, but also for, uh, more importantly, for the families of those soldiers that unfortunately didn't return uh, from the fighting. Um, so they're not going to contain sort of critical statements of the way the, uh, the war was conducted um, and they're, they're going to be sort of focused on what the war diaries contain. They're going to give you the key dates, the key locations and the key events that happened for particular battalions within regiments during the First World War. The example on the slide on the screen for you is the West Kent uh, 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 history. Um, this was uh, broken down by, each chapter is broken down chronologically and by um, theatre of war. So within each chapter it will detail the events of each battalion that was serving at that time in that part of the world. When we move through the diary it's easy to trace particular uh, battalions um, even though the regimental history is covering all battalions of that regiment, it's easy to trace just one specific battalion that you might be interested in. The left-hand margin in this example um, details the date and the battalion that that page is talking about and covering. So if you're looking at the first battalion, it's easy to skip through these just to collate the information that you're looking for. Uh, appendices are also attached at the end of these histories might detail all the soldiers that have died uh, serving in that regiment, might detail all the awards given to all the different soldiers and officers uh, during the period as well. So it can give you lots of information as you work your way through. Some, they'll all be slightly different. This example from the King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry, instead of using a margin to identify where different battalions are covered within each chapter, it's used an indentation. So the left-hand page shows the 4th Battalion, and the right-hand page shows you when it's moved on to the 5th Battalion. Likewise with the Royal Berkshire Regiment, their official history, uh, their regimental history, 
uh, is actually broken down slightly differently where each individual chapter focuses on a specific battalion and covers a whole war service. So they're slightly different but it's very easy to follow the uh, events of a particular battalion within a regiment. As well as being regimental histories, there's also divisional histories available. Um, these are available, uh, the regimental histories and divisional histories are available through our library at the National Archives, but you should also think about local library services across the country to find. So the Kent uh, histories will be in the Kent Local Library Service uh, and so on. So as well as there being regimental histories, there's divisional histories, and there's also, uh, in some cases, battalion uh, histories, which we'll, we'll see a bit later on in the example that I'll show you. The reason it's important to uh, think about divisional histories is that you can get more perspective by moving up and down the chain of command, and we'll see that more clearly uh, when we move on to the war diaries. The unit war diaries in WO95 are held by the National Archives. Uh, you might find that copies are held at regimental museums or local archives as well. They provide a day-by-day -day account of what each unit was experiencing and where they were located. You'll find that the monthly diaries will also or sometimes have uh, appendices attached to them, uh, which might include operational orders, personal or unit accounts of specific events, battles or periods, maps and some hidden gems which we'll come on to as well. It's important to stress at this time that these are unit diaries. They are not individual personal diaries. They would detail the, the events of each unit, not people individually. They're searchable by battalion, brigade, division, corps and army and all the way up to general headquarters which would have been headed by Sir John French and Sir Douglas Haig. And you should always consider moving up and down the chain of command to get an additional or to get additional information or added perspective on what was happening. To sort of to give a basic outline, the army would have been structured that individual battalions would have been formed together with two or three other battalions to form an infantry brigade. A brigade, a brigade would have been formed with two or three more brigades to form a division and then divisions would have been formed together to, to form army corps and then so on upwards to armies and so, so on and so forth. So these war diaries provide both a top-down and bottom-up approach to studying the day-to-day -day operation of the British Army during the First World War. How to search them? There's two ways. We've started to digitise uh, the Western Front diaries from the First World War. Uh, these are being released in a staged release pr uh, process. So again, return to our website, go to the um, menu option, our online records, click Army and Conscription, and then you'll have British Army War Diaries 1914 to 1922. On the slide there, you have the search box just towards the bottom, and I've just entered the number two and Berkshire. So I'm looking for the second battalion, Royal Berkshire Regiment. So I've just searched by the number of the battalion and the main um, name or, or the main part of the regiment. Then click on search and you just see there on the top option it's brought up the diary for the 2nd Battalion Royal Berkshire Regiment. You should then look for the dates on which it covers. In this case the diary, the one diary covers a whole war period but you might find 
in some cases that units have their diaries split into two or three or even four different uh, documents because they have changed theatre of war or that they've moved between different army divisions or brigades during their service. What you should also note from that search result, it's also brought up uh, a diary for the 1st Battalion Berkshire Regiment because that they were in the 2nd Division of the British Army. So do always make sure that you are getting the correct diary for the correct battalion or unit that you are searching for. What you then do is just click on the blue link um, and then that will give you the options to download the online record. Uh, there's a small fee involved. As I say, the majority of, this diaries, of these diaries haven't been digitised yet, so you'd want to use our discovery, our online catalogue service. Go to the advanced search function, type in your keywords again. I've used here 80 or 81 Brigade Field Artillery. And then just down at the bottom, you'll see, I'll just highlight this for you. I don't know if that's come up clearly or not. Um, you'll see there in the search within function, I've put in WO95. That's the record collection for the First World War Unit War Diaries. It means you're just not searching the 11 million other records we have. It just focuses it in on that one specific collection. If you then click on the search button, you then uh, get the results as you would have uh, in a similar way as you would have before. Again, what you're looking to do is make sure that it's the correct unit. This one is 81st Brigade Royal Field Artillery, so it's the correct one we were looking for. Again, check the date it's covering so it lines up with what you're interested in, what you want to focus on. And then you need to make a note of a document reference number. Because if you click on the blue link, it will tell you whether it's an online record that can be downloaded or whether it's an original document that has to be viewed here. If it's an original record here, you need the document reference number to then continue your research. The actual layout of these diaries um, follows a standard pattern. Each diary will be broken down into monthly diaries. So you'll have a, a diary for August 1914, for example. Um, that will then be followed by uh, September, October, November. The diaries will start with this standard page as you see on the slide. The left-hand column will confirm the date and sometimes the place. The middle column is the main summary of events, so this will, where, this will be where it will detail what was happening on a day-by-day -day basis, so where the unit was and any responsibilities, roles, actions, uh, offensive action that they were involved in, whether they were in the front line, whether they were in reserve, in billets. The right-hand column will detail any appendices that might survive, which might uh, link to the entry given on that day, so any operational orders or maps, for example. So it might say see Appendix A or see Appendix 1. Now do bear in mind that not all the appendices do survive. Some have been weeded out and destroyed before they were transferred to what was the public record office. Uh, some of them would have been moved up the chain of command and so might be found in brigade or divisional level diaries in the reports and circulated upwards through the army command. As you go through, you'll see that diaries will vary. Some, at some points, they will be very uh, brief in their description of what was happening. At some times, they will be much more detailed. It just varies from diary to diary, month to month, um, 
on, on depending on what was happening and where they were based. They also contain references to when honours and awards were given out. Uh, one of the biggest problems for First World War research is that a lot of the citations for gallantry medals don't survive. And so war diaries can sometimes provide you with a line of two, a line or two of why a specific award was given to a specific individual. You'll find trench maps uh, and other maps which will go uh, with some of the descriptions, which might just add to your perspective and understanding of what is in the written statement. You'll get battalion and operational orders, uh, which will break down for you um, what was actually expected of a battalion in a particular raid or offensive, um, and even that might be broken down for different sections um, uh, and companies within a battalion, what was expected of them. So it can really give you some good additional information to what frontline service was like for soldiers in the First World War. And as well as that, you can get insights into what life might have been like when in reserve or in, uh, in sort of rest areas. Here, for example, 2nd Battalion, Royal Berkshire Regiment, we have a sports day programme in, uh, in honour of an anniversary for the regiment, um, and we can begin to see how morale was maintained uh, when out of a front line. So the afternoon session in particular, there's some very interesting um, uh, events that took uh, place, such as pillow fighting, uh, and my favourite one is the last one, which is a surprise race, which, you know, could be anything. So it's quite interesting some of the uh, events that you can, or some of the documentation you can come across in these diaries. I mentioned before about uh, the importance of moving up or down the chain of command uh, to get more information. Here's an example uh, uh, of why you should do that. I've looked at the 1st Battalion of the Norfolk Regiment um, uh, to see if they were involved in the Christmas Truce of 1914 gone to their battalion war diary, gone to the 25th of December, and you can see that, that just like another three or four days in December there, there's no actual entry made for the 25th, it's just left blank. So you could be forgiven for thinking, well, there's nothing listed there, I'm going to move on to the next period of interest that I have for this particular battalion. But if you move up to the brigade level diary, which is the 15th Infantry Brigade, Headquarters Diary, the entry there for the December 25th actually states in the opening, uh, opening, opening line that the morning was foggy but cleared later. About 2pm, a German officer unarmed walked towards the Norfolk trenches. So straight away we've got more information from the brigade level diary about the experiences of the Norfolk bat uh, 1st Battalion Norfolk Regiment on the 25th of December 1914. The entry goes on to state that about 200 to 400 German and British soldiers uh, conversed and sung hymns together, and then the uh, diary tries to turn it into sort of an intelligence gathering exercise by stating more Germans came out of the uh, German trenches than the British felt that, that they held. But you shouldn't stop there. If you move up to divisional level diaries, uh, the 5th Division Headquarters diary uh, contains uh, a list of appendices on the front cover for the December diary. And the third from the bottom op, uh, topic is fraternising. And when we turn to that page on the diary, it says conversing with enemy. And then when we actually turn to those pages, 
we see here, um, and this is just an example of a number of reports given by officers from the various battalions that witnessed what happened. And this, hap this one happens to be by um, uh, a Captain uh, Bagwell of the 1st Battalion Norfolk Regiment. So again, by moving up to brigade level, by moving up to divisional level, we can get um, accounts and uh, feedback from um, people that were within the uh, Norfolk Battalion, 1st Battalion Norfolk Regiment at this time. The way to find out what brigade or division uh, a unit was in, there's various websites that can help you, but even through our catalogue descriptions for the War Diaries here, an example of the um, 8th Battalion West Surrey Regiment are uh, attached to, in the description it says 72nd Infantry Brigade, so that's the one we would search for if we wanted to move to that brigade level diary. And then just down on the right hand side, uh, I'll just highlight it again, just there on the right hand side in the description of how the series is constructed it tells us that the, that infantry brigade is part of the 24th division so that's how you can find out very quickly what infantry brigade or division that you should be moving up to to get more information there are drawbacks to using unit war diaries unfortunately here the 12th indian division for november the 7th 1915 just says sunday you will just find that some entries are very um, basic and brief. Uh, it just depends on the theatre of war that they were in. But we do have many, many examples of really good insights uh, to things that you might not have thought would be contained in these diaries. And I have to thank at this point a number of our volunteers that worked on actually sorting these records before they were digitised, who found these uh, examples which we were able to use. Here's an example from the 5th Division Headquarters uh, diary uh, from March 1916 on bayonet training. So when we consider the number of uh, brigades that form a division and then the number of battalions that form brigades, we can begin to see what, men, what sort of training men would have been going through when out of the front line. On the right-hand side there of the image, we can see the sack drawn up and the eight different places that soldiers were expected to... Um, attack with their bayonet, so it's face, throat, heart, right and left nipple, um, stomach, kidneys and then right and left groin. So again it gives you a you know, fascinating insight into some of the training that soldiers would have undertaken. Likewise we have tactical insights, so here from February 1918 in the 8th Division Headquarters diary is these wooden boards being used as silhouettes, so to try and put off the enemy uh, to make them think that an attack was happening um, in front of them rather than further up, or further up and down the line. So again we can see that it wasn't just about always firing your weapon or charging enemy in the front lines, it would also be using pulley systems like this to try and put off the enemy. And then we can also see some of the other dangers that soldiers would have experienced during their, front, uh, during their uh, war service. It wasn't just about bullets and uh, artillery fire. Here in the General Headquarters Diaries for Salonica under the Adjutant and Quartermaster General for April 1917, we get instructions uh, to soldiers on how to prevent the spread of malaria and also pre preventing the spread of disease by, by flies. So again we can see some of the other sort of daily disciplines that the soldiers would have needed to go through 
uh, and just brings out some of the daily experiences of the soldiers during this period. And then uh, to finish with a more sort of comical example here from the 24th Field Ambulance is a diagram of a new latrine that has been constructed out of old biscuit boxes um, and then a, a quite comical demonstration uh, for you all to, to view there. And although that comes across as quite a light-hearted example, it does remind us of a sort of make-do-amend um, policies that soldiers would have gone through in the First World War uh, using any resources they could get their hands on to improve their daily life, to improve the, the daily conditions in that part of the uh, front that they were serving on. I'm going to move on to trench maps and photographs at this point to show you how these can add perspective and understanding to the written statements that you may have found in regimental histories or unit war diaries. Listed there are the different record series. There's a number of different record series for the trench maps uh, broken down by the different theatres of war. And again, the same for photographs, which are a smaller collection. I'm going to start with trench maps and I'm going to focus on the WO153 collection, which are the maps that show the progress of the war. And in particular, I'm going to focus on the daily situation maps, um, which will show you the um, progress, or in some case, uh, very um, slow progress of particular offensives. So my example there, searching uh, the online catalogue discovery for daily situation and SOM, uh, and restricting it to the WO153 collection brings us up that one result. This collection, uh, or these trench map collections, will be original paper-based records held here at the National Archives. So again, you need to make a note of the document reference number. In this case, it's WO153-209 to order up that material. Now, these uh, maps will show you the daily progress, in some cases, hourly progress, of the British front line during the period of the Battle of the Somme. So you could do the same sort of searches for Ypres, Passchendaele, Luz, uh, any of the offences in the First World War. So here we see quite large maps, so you've got to be prepared when handling this material, they're going to be large and bulky, but they detail, uh, broken down for you, the different sections uh, where the different Army Corps are located, uh, and then the sort of British frontline positions at that time on that date. So if we move it forward now from the 1st of July, we can then move it forward to this map here, the 4th of July. Again, we can see where the different Army Corps are located on the map, so their section, and then you're in that you'll find the divisions and then the brigades. And what you'll start to pick out from these maps are the key locations, so wooded areas, hills, towns, that sort of information. And you can just see how the front line progresses. So we move from the 4th of July to the 16th, 17th of July. Uh, and we can see that they've gradually pushed forward just up towards the top uh, of the area. Is a, a wooded area there, uh, which is high wood. And we, when we move on to the next slide, which is at the end of July, we can just see how slow the progress was during this battle. They've just about got a foothold uh, into that wood, which is now there. So we see that's about half a month's worth of fighting just to push up 
to that little wood there. So again, these trench maps, when used in conjunction with the regimental histories and the unit war diaries about key locations, key dates, key events, can add to your perspective of how that battle or offensive did progress. Again, like the war diaries, there are drawbacks. Uh, the trench mapping sort of system uh, developed greatly during the First World War, but some of the maps for the early period will be very basic. This is a situation map of the First Battle of Ypres from 1914. Basically, it is a map of Europe, and it has those red blobs are the old fortresses of Europe, which would have been seen as key battle, likely battle areas, maybe before the war. But essentially, drawn down the whole Western Front is the front line at that stage. And up around the, uh, where Ypres is in Belgium, you would have the positioning of the British Army at this time. So it's not nowhere near as detailed as the maps we saw for the Somme. So do bear that in mind that in the early part of the war, the trench maps will be less detailed. The actual photographic collection uh, that we have, again, broken over many series, again can add to that perspective of certain areas and events uh, that you've seen a, a relative is involved in uh, or a, a battalion in interest is involved in. I'm going to focus on the record collection um, WO316, which includes uh, a sub-series on artillery panoramas from the First World War. These are searchable by a place name. Now, it won't cover all the places in France, or Flanders, obviously, but it will include um, many of the key locations, many of the key battles, and it will give you a date that that photograph or panorama was put together. One, again, they're going to be original documents held here at the National Archives, so again, you need to make a note of a document reference number um, listed. Some of them are listed there on the right-hand side for you. Here's one for the Somme, so we've just been looking at the trench maps for the Somme. As you can see, uh, they detail, they give you an immediate um, idea of the lay of the land, and it, whether it's hilly, uh, whether it's flat, whether there's wooded areas, it details any towns or uh, key locations in the background. So you've got place names and wood names and hill names listed there in the background. So again, you can follow those through from the war diaries or the regimental histories and the trench maps. And when you roll the, the, the photos out, in the case of the Somme, we come across a photo of Highwood, which is uh, the area identified on the trench map. And as you can see, this photo brings home the sort of realism that it's no longer a wood. It's actually been totally wiped out by the artillery and the fighting. And so again, you get a better perspective of what the fighting might have been like in that area it wouldn't have produced much cover, for example. There are other records that you should consider using, which are records that are specific to individuals, but they can still be used to draw out additional information about the experiences of individual battalions or units within the British Army. The first one are the officers' service records, which are original paper-based records held here at the National Archives in the record series WO339 and 374. These are interesting because they will contain uh, potentially information on uh, capture reports if uh, the officer was captured. So that might detail the actual events leading up to his capture. 
which might give you more information on the experiences of that particular unit. They might contain information on a court-martial, which might provide insights into the discipline of a particular battalion. And it'll give you information on the sort of social background and the types of officers that were in charge of the men of a particular battalion or unit of the British Army. WO161 are prisoner of war interview, interview reports, which are available to download via our website. Again, go to the Our Online Records page, uh, select Army and Conscription, and you'll be able to search by name through the page listed on that part of our website. Again, they might detail to you events leading up to a capture, so a wider uh, report of what happened to a particular battalion on a particular day. But also it might give you some additional information on what life might have been like for a prisoner of war in Germany or uh, in Mesopotamia, um, for example. So you should also consider using those as well. W071 are court-martial proceedings papers uh, for those uh, soldiers who were executed during the First World War. So again, they might provide you with an insight into the discipline uh, and morale of a particular battalion or regiment during the First World War. These are original paper-based records available to view at the National Archives. The final one to check is FO383, which is Foreign Office Prisoner of War Correspondence. These are searchable by a unit as well as individual name. So again, they might provide you with an insight into what life was like for soldiers of particular units after being captured uh, and their time as a prisoner of war. I'm going to finish with a case study of the 8th Battalion Royal West Kent Regiment at the Battle of Lewes in 1915, just to highlight how these records which I've detailed come together um, to uh, sort of can be used sort of to piece together a better understanding of what life was like uh, during the First World War. The regimental history confirms that the battalion, um, the 8th Battalion West Kent's, uh, were a part of the 72nd Infantry Brigade, which was a part of the 24th Infantry Division. They moved to France at the end of August 1915, but had only received their service rifles in July. So we can begin through the regimental history to see um, the, the difficulties in actually training and equipping the new army battalions before they went overseas. Fortunately, this battalion also has a battalion uh, history published, um, and this confirms to us that in August, um, the Divisional Trench Warfare Training at Cobham Common, where trench-to-trench -trench attacks and consolidation techniques were to be trained, um, was abandoned due to very bad weather. When we return back to the regimental history, it details that on the 26th of September 1915, so less than a month after moving overseas um, for active service, uh, the battalion attacked towards Hullock and Lens during the Battle of Lewes. Of the 24 officers and 800 men who went into action, only one officer and 250 uh, men remained effective. It also detailed that the 9th East Surreys who were attacking alongside the 8th West Kents were also wiped out and that basically the British artillery hadn't destroyed the German defensive wire and the uh, 8th uh, West Kents um, got stuck and weren't able to uh, advance any further and that then the German defensive uh, fire um, wiped them out. So again it brings us back to the failure 
uh, in a way of the sort of training before they went overseas. The actual war diary, as I uh, suggested earlier, in some cases isn't actually that detailed because they had more pressing concerns at that time. So it just says 26th of August, uh, 26th uh, of September, uh, attack uh, Hulluk, lose three quarters of a battalion, and then that's all it, all it details in the battalion level diary. So I moved into the prisoner of war reports in WO161. I found a report by Captain Hutchinson of the 8th Battalion, Royal West Kent Regiment. He details, uh, in quite good detail actually, the problems that the battalion faced on that day. He talks about um, that the German um, troops retreated towards Hulluck village, which was on the left of the West Kent uh, position, and also into some wooded areas on the right-hand side. He details that the attack and advance was uphill and that the German fire became more and more heavy and that the difficulties of attacking uphill as well proved to be very costly uh, for the West Kents in particular. Uh, he talks about the you know, accurate and heavy machine gun fire coming from Hulluck village on the left. The artillery was becoming more effective from the Germans. And then on the right, the wooded areas as well was causing serious problems for the attacking British troops. And then it will go on to detail how he was captured and in his treatment during his time as a prisoner. But from that prisoner of war report, we've got very good information to take forward and add to our perspective of the written accounts we've already come across. The situation maps for the Battle of Luz, which we looked at uh, in a similar way for the Battle of the Somme from September 1915, show the daily... Um, position of the British front line. Here is the line uh, for the British um, on the night of the 25th of September, so the night before the, uh, West, the 8th West Kents went into action. The 72nd Infantry Brigade is just about there on that position. And you'll see here is Hulluck village and just here are the wooded areas that Captain Hutchinson was talking about in his um, uh, prisoner of war capture report. And you would find that the 72nd Infantry Brigade were attacking just in between in the line through there. When we flip over to the position, um, the situation map for the next evening, we see how devastating the attack was from a British point of view, and we can see that the 72nd Infantry Brigade, which was there the night before, has been totally, well, their position has been totally wiped out. So again, by using the trench maps, we can see the daily progress, and it adds to our perspective of what actually happened around that time, um, what happened elsewhere along the line, to see what went wrong. And then we also have photographs from the Battle of Luz. Here we see um, uh, the chalk is clearly evident from, from the Luz area, all the white um, markings there, all the chalk which has been dug up for the trenches. And then when we flip, when we unveil that photo further, we get to Chalk Pit Wood, which is one of the wooded areas that Captain Hutchinson was referring to. We can clearly see the lay of the land, the uphill advance that the troops were expected to take. So again, 
we can see clearly how the perspective um, of, uh, is added to by using these photographs in conjunction um, with uh, the published uh, material in the regimental hi uh, histories or the war diaries. Just some summary points to conclude. Regimental histories and war diaries will give you the key dates, locations and daily experiences. You should be prepared to move through the level of command, the army command, to find additional information on a particular battalion or unit. Trench maps and photographs can add perspective to published battles or offensive actions, the regimental histories for example. Records relating to specific individuals can contain additional information that adds to your perspective of what happened to a particular unit. And you should also consider using regimental museums or local archives to find additional personal accounts, such as personal diaries, um, that might add to your understanding of what happened to a particular unit or battalion during that time. That's the end of um, the main presentation. I'm going to pass back to Anne for any questions. I'd just like to thank you again for your time this afternoon. I hope you found it worthwhile and interesting. Thank you. Hi, you're back with me again. Thank you. Thanks for that, David. Um, I hope you enjoyed the presentation like I did. Um, thanks for your questions and comments. I'm going to put a selection of these to David now. Okay, so you mentioned medal index cards in your presentation. Are the medal index cards complete records or are they missing, um, similar to the First World War uh, soldier service records? Uh, the medal index cards should be complete. Um, they can be searched on our um, website, the National Archives website, or also on the Ancestry website if you use that to search for the service records. Thanks, David. Um, I've got another question. Um, how accurate is the information in respect of an individual battalion number on the Commonwealth Graves um, details? Also, is it based on the battalion on joining up or at the time of death? Uh, that one's uh, an interesting question, I must say. Um, Usually it's very good, it's very accurate, but you have to bear in mind that in some cases soldiers would have been attached to another regiment or battalion. I have that trouble with uh, one of my ancestors who was um, in the 17th Lancers, but he actually died on the Western Front before the 17th Lancers made it over to France about a month earlier. So he was attached uh, as a result to the Second Life Guards, but he's death entry on the Commonwealth War Graves Commission website says 17th Lancers and it, it's, it's important if you're coming across a similar problem um, that you might want to search for other people that died on the same day uh, and uh, uh, sort of on the same memorial or in the same cemetery and see what um, units they're attached to and it might be worth following it up that way and then speaking with the various regimental museums um, or archivists who might be able to clarify it for you. That's great, David. Um, I've just got one more question. Um, so were the war, unit war diaries duplicated or do several copies exist? Um, one participant found a unit war diary in an American university library collection. How could that happen? Okay, there, there would have been more than one copy um, generated. Um, one copy would have come back to the War Office uh, and then that's what's the collection that we have. We would have then had that from the War Office for permanent preservation. 
Other copies would have been then kept by the actual regiment and generally they would now survive in regimental uh, archives or local county archives. So the West Kents would be with the regimental museum or the the local county archive in, in Kent. Some additional copies may have been made uh, copies may have been uh, sent out to archives elsewhere. It might be that someone who actually compiled uh, a war diary may have made their own copy and taken that with them uh, for their own private collection. But there should be uh, at least two copies. Generally, they're found in the regimental museum or uh, local archive. Well, that's great, David, and thank you everyone for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed it. We'll be making a recording of today's session available for download in due course, so please keep an eye out on the National Archive website. As webinars are a new venture for us, we are keen to receive feedback on both the subject covered and the functionality of the platform, so please do let us know of your thoughts and your feedback um, with the webinar email address, which I'll post now. Thanks again, and goodbye.